0: Good morning. The other night I talked about equanimity as a quality that's very highly valued in the Buddha's teachings and that it appears in lots of his different numbered lists of skillful qualities that we want to cultivate, including in the four brahmavihara practices that we've been exploring in the afternoons. So equanimity is this quality of heart, mind, that helps us to stay steady and balanced, even in the face of life's inevitable ups and downs, small and large challenges. So even this morning I'm a few minutes late because I was getting ready for all of this and I had a stack of paper to be recycled and I thought, oh I may as well just put it in the fire because the fire was getting low. And then a couple of minutes before I was leaving I was like, where's my instructions for this morning? And I just burnt them. (laughs) Okay. So print them all out again. So equanimity. And with the ending of this retreat, we have a very powerful opportunity to notice the presence or absence of this quality. We can learn a lot from the ending of this retreat about how we habitually relate to endings. Because how we're relating to the ending of the retreat is probably how we relate to endings in our life more generally. Some of us have the tendency to skip over endings and we're already jumping towards the next thing that we think is going to make us happy. The finish line, the metaphorical finish line is in sight and it can be this attitude, "Yeah, near enough is good enough. I've worked pretty hard. I think I'll just have a little nap now. And we can notice if there's this energetic leaning forward, a sense of impatience, rushing, wanting the retreat to be over already. And for some people, they're already sitting in their favorite cafe with a good friend and a good cup of coffee. So if you do notice that energetic rushing and the tendency for the mind to go out into the future, See if you can just pause, relax, soften that tension, be here now. For other people, it's more of the opposite. There's a tendency to hold on tightly and try to squeeze out every last drop of benefit from the retreat. The finish line is in sight and their attitude is, oh no, it's nearly over. I haven't got any of those insights that they keep talking about. I better work harder, slow down more, or stay in silence longer and sit and walk and sit and walk and sit and walk and sit and walk. (laughs) Or maybe I could ask the managers if I can stay an extra few days, because then maybe the awakening factors will come up. For other people there might be a tendency just to space out and not really even notice. Oh, was there something different on the schedule today? What are we supposed to be doing right now? Oh, here I am, back at work. How did that happen? So there's all these different ways that we relate to the endings, which you might have noticed, tend to pull us into our root patterns of greed, of hatred, of delusion. And sometimes we find ourselves swinging between all three. Desperately wanting to be over, desperately not wanting it to be over, and so on. So in each of these movements, we have an opportunity to see what's happening and see if we can release the reactivity. And we might surprise ourselves with this new orientation to just accepting and being with all the changes that are going on right now. And there's a quote from Pema Chodron that I'd like to read you in relation to equanimity. She says, To cultivate equanimity, we practice catching ourselves when we feel attraction or aversion before it hardens into grasping or negativity. We train in staying with the soft spot and use our biases as stepping stones for connecting with the confusion of others. Strong emotions are are useful in this regard. Whatever arises, no matter how bad it feels, can be used to extend our kinship to others who suffer that same kind of aggression or craving, who, just like us, Get hooked by hope and fear. This is how we come to appreciate that everyone's in the same boat. We all desperately need more insight into what leads to happiness and what leads to pain. It's easy to continue, even after years of practice, even after years of practice, to harden into a position of anger and indignation. However, if we can contact the vulnerability and rawness of resentment or rage or whatever it is, a bigger perspective can emerge. In the moment that we choose to abide with the energy, instead of acting it out or repressing it, we are training in equanimity, in thinking bigger than right and wrong. This is how all the four limitless qualities, love or metta, Compassion, joy, and equanimity evolve from limited to limitless. We practice catching our mind hardening into fixed views and do our best to soften. Through softening, the barriers come down. So you might have noticed in that quote how equanimity is both an aspect of wisdom and a heart quality, a brahma-vihara. It's wisdom that recognizes impermanence, the constantly changing flow of our reactions, doesn't take them personally, gives us the capacity to think bigger, to think bigger than right and wrong, as she says. And then it's the heart that recognizes the impersonality and the universality of our emotions, that we're all in the same boat. And we can train in dropping the barriers that keep us separate. So, this morning I'd like to continue exploring equanimity as a Brahma Vihara practice, working with it as a support for our relationship with other people, particularly those people that tend to challenge our equanimity. But first, just a little more about this quality of equanimity more generally. Our ability to maintain equanimity is strengthened by the understanding of impermanence, anicca, the truth that everything changes. Often, though, we have a tendency to want to fix things, to fix other people, to fix ourselves. And by fix here, I mean it in both senses of the word fix as in to mend or to repair but also to make fixed, static, unchanging. So developing equanimity is about letting go of this tendency to want things to be different, to want them to be permanent if they're pleasant, or impermanent if they're unpleasant. And in the context of the suttas, one of the images for equanimity is the steadiness of a mountain, A mountain remains unmoving, even as the wind and the rain and the snowstorms might swirl around it. I've also used the image of the sky and how the sky is unaffected by the weather conditions that pass through it. We've seen a lot of changing weather conditions here, rain and mist and sun and Wind, and if we want any of those conditions to stay the same, we're going to suffer. So, some of the traditional phrases for cultivating equanimity in terms of uh, circumstances are uh, phrases that highlight the truth of impermanence. So, here are just a few sample phrases from some Western insight teachers. This is Jack Cornfield. May I learn to see the arising and passing of all things with equanimity and balance. So he's pointing to that change. Sharon Salzberg, May I be undisturbed by the comings and goings of events. And Kamala Masters, May I accept and open to how it is right now because this is how it is right now. And in Kamala's phrase, you notice how she says, this is how it is right now, which leaves open the possibility, the truth, that it's going to change. So it's not a passive sort of defeated, oh, this is how it is. This is how it is right now. And by implication, it will change perhaps not with the speed that we would like, but it will definitely change. So I'll be weaving some of these phrases into the guided meditation that I'll be offering soon. So these Brahma-Vihara practices are mental trainings that we develop gradually. And in the Vasudhi instructions, we start where they come most naturally. So the general sequence is from, a, from oneself to a benefactor, a good friend, a neutral person, a so-called difficult person, and then all beings. And so far with the other Brahma Viharas, I've been inviting us to stay with the easy beings, benefactors and good friends, and a little bit um, working with ourselves. Today, though, I'd like to raise the bar a bit and work with the category of a so-called difficult person. And again, in the spirit of not fixing or making things permanent, this difficult person is more accurately someone whom we're currently having difficulties with. It's not THE difficult person in capital letters underlined for eternity. But it's challenging for me to say the person we're currently having some difficulties with every time. So I'll just say difficult person as shorthand and keep in mind that this needs to be a fluid categorization. And in that spirit of fluidity, we can people can move into different categories. So perhaps we have someone we normally think of as a good friend And then we notice some issue has come up and there's a bit of resentment. So we might temporarily move them into the difficult category for a while and then hopefully move them back out. So just a few suggestions for working with this difficult person. Maybe a little more challenging because difficult is difficult. They're in that category because there's probably been some unpleasant experiences, some unpleasant interactions. So again, I invite you to start with a relatively easy, difficult person and then (laughs) gradually work up to that person, to that person who has been the most intensely problematic for us. And depending on the circumstances, this process could take years. So we're not trying to manufacture or force anything to happen. We're not trying to blast through our defenses or minimize the truth of any harm that may have been done to us. So go into this category gently and if at any time it's feeling forced or painful then let it go. You may offer yourself some compassion for a while or kindness, appreciation for even trying to give it a go. Or if it's quite intense, you can drop it completely and just practice mindfulness of breathing to help you come back into balance. So when we work with this difficult person, it can be helpful to remember the saying that hurt people hurt people. And can we find the truth of that in relation to this person? It's likely that some of their challenging behavior is at its root coming out of some kind of suffering. And then we might be able to find some compassion that helps support the equanimity. The other side of hurt people, hurting people, is that healed people heal people. So we can use that perhaps as an encouragement to try and heal our own relationship with this person and having a sense of humor can be a huge support for working with a difficult person we tend to take our challenges very personally but there probably isn't anyone in this room who doesn't have some difficult person or people in their lives is that true? is anyone completely free of (laughs) difficult people? Better take my glasses off so I can see. (laughs) No, we all have someone who gives us challenges. So as Pema Chodron says, we're all in the same boat. So coming back to equanimity for the difficult person... One area of our lives where many of us get really caught is in relation to the people who are close to us. And we can have very definite agendas for how our parents, our partners, our family members, our kids, our close friends should be, who they should be and how their lives should be unfolding. We want them to only experience pleasure and gain and fame and praise, to use the classical equanimity pairings, but even the Buddha couldn't change other people's lives for them. So who are we to think that we can control someone else? And of course, it's natural that we want other people to be happy. But when that wish hardens into an expectation of some kind, then it usually causes ourselves and the other person suffering. So in this next meditation, we'll be exploring equanimity in relation to someone that we care about, but we realize there's some kind of agenda, some kind of desire to control, some kind of stickiness in the relationship. And again, in the service of gradually strengthening the muscle of equanimity, Choose someone who's less than a five in terms of the intensity of the difficulties. And we'll be using some of the phrases that I posted on the board as well as these ones that are about um, just creating a sense of space. So I care about you but cannot live your life for you. Your happiness or unhappiness depends upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. So you might sense if there's someone in your life that those phrases feel appropriate for, and let this so-called difficult person be the one you work with for this meditation. Okay.